You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. And it's brought to you by Ion Blue, providing 100% renewable carbon neutral energy for your electric vehicle. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of The Driven and also at sister sites reneweconomy.com.au and One Step Off The Grid. And joining me is Bridie Schmidt, the lead reporter for The Driven. Bridie, I trust you are well. I am, thank you. And it's good to be back again. Yeah, it is great. It is great. Look, there's been a bit of news hanging around um, over the last week in EV land. We'll get to some of the policy stuff later on, but we're starting to see a rollout of some models and some people are very happy and other people are really frustrated. Let's start with the good news. Um, Model Ys seem to be rolling out everywhere. Yeah, well, it it has. It's been a massive week because obviously the Model Y is, um, as they say, highly anticipated. Uh, Elon Musk himself has said he thinks it'll sell more than any of Tesla's other models. And a lot of people have certainly been waiting for it. Um, So first deliveries happened last Friday in Sydney. Um, But I think there's also been a bit of excitement in Melbourne because there was a, a video that was not taken perhaps um, in all legality, uh, but it was seen by many people showing that there are a lot of Tesla Model Ys at the Port of Melbourne, uh, and that is a first. Oh, I'm a bit interested in that. What does that mean, not taken in all legality? <laughs> Look, the the uh, the person who posted the video, um, there's a bit of controversy actually because it was taken by drone and there's a lot of restrictions around um where drones can be flown. And one of those places that they're not allowed to be flown without um, the proper approvals is over ports. And ah, uh, well, there yeah, you go. That's why, yeah. that, that's why, that's why it was, uh, that's why it was um, taken down, wasn't it? It was very quickly taken down. And, uh, but, but we are able to confirm that, that that was taken at the port of Melbourne. And prior to that, uh, Tesla has brought, uh, cars to Port Kembla only, um, put them on ships to go to Fremantle and other places like that. So this this was the first proof that we had that Tesla was uh, doing it more decentralising its um, delivery processes. Yeah, well, it also speaks just to the sheer volume of Model Ys that they're rushing in. I mean, it's been extraordinary. Right. Yeah. Model Three. I mean, how many Model Threes have we sold in Australia? Have they sold in Australia so far? It must it's, be, what, it's, it's it's in the realm of twenty five thousand. Twenty five thousand. Okay, well, that's, that's that's a big number. In July, they got down to four. <laughs> Just four, because of all the supply constraints and they're kind of ramping up to this big delivery of Model Ys and I should say Model 3s. Um, but it's just going to be huge. Uh, Robin Denham, as we reported last month, is talking about the number, the total number of sales from Tesla deliveries going from about 27,000 now to 50,000 at the end of the year. So that's like, that's another 20,000 in the next four months, basically. Probably mostly Ys, but a fair number of 3s as well. Yeah, that's right. There'll be trees as well. There's some people that have been waiting since, you know, sort of January since ordering for their model trees. Um, what we know at the moment in terms of um, how many Tesla cars are being shipped to Australia is there are five ships so far in this quarter, um, thanks to information that we've got from Veta Prime. And it looks, you know, we don't know for certain until Tesla reports 
to VFAX, which they're doing finally. Uh, but you know that that's going to be in the realm of five to six thousand cars on those five ships alone. I think there's going to be a bit of a queue at some of those Tesla supercharging stations around the place. Um, you might want to leave early when you're doing a long trip now, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, we might have to factor in a bit more lead time for charging just for the time being at least. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, look, I mean, Tesla seems to have got its act together for delivering, you know, 20,000 odd cars to Australia this year, um, in, well, in the next four months. Um, other car companies, of course, we know are not doing it so easily. Um, we had another round this week of Hyundai Ioniq 5s. Fantastic cars, really coveted. Um, 16,000 expressions of interest, but people are having a real problem and getting pretty frustrated at the sort of this little raffle of um, online offerings that come sort of once every month or once every couple of weeks. Yeah, look, they're referring it to it as a raffle um it, it, it's it's a great car you know like as you know as well um it's just a really different tap from hyundai it's got lots of space inside of course it's got this fantastic vehicle to load capability and it's just this lovely spacious futuristic driving experience and people like it clearly because as you said there's so many you know so much interest um, but unfortunately, Hyundai is still only able to trickle out, you know, 100 or so each month, it seems. So, yeah, that's partly due to the issue that we'll get to after our interview mm. um, break, um, the lack of um, fuel emission standards in Australia, which is a bit of a tragedy. Um, I could have done with vehicle to load today because my laptop ran out just on deadline time for the, um, for the Renew Economy newsletter. Uh, which just basically means I had to sort of fold it up and then shout instructions over the phone. But um, anyway, um, with vehicle to load, it would have been better. Um, but some other good news happening, um, Atto 3. Now, apparently, um, we've, we've spotted some some Atto 3s, some BYD Atto 3s on trucks in Australia. Yeah, this is <laughs> fresh, brand new news. Uh, we've, we've had... Um, We've seen some photos from from readers that show a couple of Addo 3s on a truck in Brisbane, but we've also had official uh, social media confirmation from EV Direct who've just posted a couple of images of of the Addo 3 on trucks. So there's going to be some very happy BYD customers out there tonight. Yeah, and how many BYD customers do we think there are out there? I mean, how many deliveries are we expecting this year? Well, officially they've said 3,000 and look, that's probably as of about a month ago. So whether or not they've taken a few more orders since then would be good to see. Uh, you know, they, they say that they've uh, got a dedicated assembly line in uh, China for the uh, Australia and New Zealand market. So it's really great to see another car maker, you know, putting its hand up and saying, yes, we can bring EVs in volume to Australia. Mm, okay. Look, um, I might go. We might go to the interview that I did um, earlier this week. Um, the other one of the other big pieces of news was um, Hertz rolling out the first of its Polestar twos. Um, I think it's got about a hundred or so, or maybe it's sixty or a hundred. It's going to sort of scatter around um, the major cities, mostly at airports. Um, Pretty exciting innovation, really, that we have more electric cars available for rental. Um, that's just going to be another invitation for people to drive an electric car. Once you do that, it's very hard to sort of go back and, oh, I think my next car is going to be a fossil fuel car. But anyway, I caught up with the vice president of Asia for Hertz Rental Car, Ian McNeil, and um, this is what he said. 
Owen McNeil, thank you very much for joining the Driven Podcast. My pleasure. Hertz is announcing this week, well, it's actually announced before, but it's now rolling out its deal with Polestar for the rental, the offering um, Polestar 2 electric vehicles to Australian customers. This is part of a global deal of 65,000 cars being made available. Why? Um, exactly that. It's part of our global initiative to be the preeminent EV rental car company in the world. And uh, part of our allocation of that 65,000 Polestar partnership is uh, in Australia. We're, we're probably uh, one of only three, so uh, US, Europe and, and Australia now, um, to land these cars. Uh, our initial uh, delivery is about 70 vehicles, but we, we plan to get into the hundreds this year and, and obviously thousands next year. So um, those 70 vehicles are going to be available across all states of Australia and um, it, you know available at major airports, which we're pretty excited about, and uh, you know including Launceston and Hobart. So uh, yeah, that's that's the main reason for, for the launch is to showcase this vehicle to our rental customers and, and make it available broadly across Australia. Is there any difference in offering an electric vehicle than a fossil fuel car in the way that you manage your own business? Yes, there is. And I, I think um, there's obviously the charging network. So, you know, we, we operate out of 300 locations across Australia and New Zealand, um, but the main ones are, are that we work through our airports, and uh, that's where we believe the majority of our customers will want to pick up an EV. Um, and having the charging infrastructure infrastructure is, is important for us in those locations, and we're working hand in glove with our airport partners and other landlords to get the infrastructure um, so that we can charge the vehicles rather, yeah. rather than refuel them. Well, exactly. You don't want to sort of leave an empty charged um, EV for someone to pick up. Um, so what exactly are you planning there? You're planning to have sort of slow AC charges or fast DC charges. Do you need to get them in before you start offering the Polestars um, for rent to the customers? We, we'd, we'd like to have gotten them in. Uh, unfortunately, it's not quite as easy as that. But um, to answer your question directly, we'll, we'll probably do a mixture of um, 22 kilowatt um, D, uh, AC chargers and then uh, supplement those with fast chargers down the track and uh, the DCs. Um, but that's probably going to be a little bit later uh, just because the infrastructure and, and the installation requirements for fast chargers is a bit more um, yeah. obviously difficult than compared to a, a 22 kilowatt. So how are you going to manage the, um, the, um, the handing over of electric vehicles if you haven't already got um, fast chargers readily available at airports or other centres? So, I mean, most of our, our rental patterns are, you know, pick up in the morning, return in the afternoon, and then re-rent in the morning. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, a 22 kilowatt will fit into that sort of four or five hour charging. Okay. From our experience with, with the Teslas that we have on fleet already and, and some Ionics is that the customer generally returns around 40% charged. That's um, interesting. So we're not going from zero to, to 90. Um, so we think that that's going to make that a little bit easier. But yeah, I mean, the fast charger will be when the fleet density gets to a point where we do need to turn them around very quickly. And that sort of 30 to, to 60 minute charge is going to be important. From Okay. So so the fact that you've already got Teslas and Ionic fires means you've got some sort of um, charging infrastructure there. Yeah, no, I mean, it's concentrated in Canberra and Adelaide. So right. what's changed with the Polster deal with, with the, the volume of those vehicles coming on um, is we're going to be pervasive across Australia so that there's a lot more work and a lot more infrastructure 
um, anyway, and it was a significant amount of capital investment to get that up and running and, and ready to, to get to scale. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that you note um, that you said that people mostly just do daytime hires, pick up in the morning, return in the afternoon, they return it with roughly about 40%. Um, have any of them charged on the way or that just simply just reflects the amount of kilometres that they do during the day and that only sort of depletes, you know, they've probably done a couple hundred kilometres at most? No, to be clear, you know, they, uh, they generally, I don't know why, but people generally tend to fly out in the morning and fly out in the evening, so it may be over multiple days, but that, what that means is we turn those cars around overnight, basically, ready for the next morning, which is our busy pickup time. Um, so, yeah, we, it's not really a zero-day rental, as we call it. It's not one day. It's, um, it's, it's more that when they do bring them back from their journey, they probably have, have or haven't charged them. Uh, mm. We're not really aware of that currently. Um, but the, the stats that we do have is just knowing that when they come back, they're, they're averaging around 40% charge. But, okay. And what's yeah. been the feedback? What's been the feedback so far with electric vehicles? Uh, very good. And uh, you know, the uh, obviously there's probably an enthusiastic rental, if I can put it that way, where we've got people who are, you know, reasonably accustomed to an EV, either own one or or want to rent one uh, as a try. Um, mm. But we think the next stage for this, with the amount of pollsters that we plan to have on fleet this year, that'll become a lot more mainstream, and we we would like a lot more customers to try these uh, great vehicles um, and you know experience what it's like to charge them uh, out in the wild as we call it um, and uh, and also you know um, have a zero emission basically rental product so we're yeah, excited yeah. about that yeah just I'm, I'm just a bit interested actually when because um, normally when you take a rental car back to its base you sort of required to sort of fill it up with petrol otherwise you get charged some horrific amount per litre um, way above the market price and um, what are you requiring people when they bring back an electric vehicle look we're not we're not stipulating I mean obviously we'd like that the sort of at least 10 percent so we can we can get around and, and get them recharged again um, but you know that's not that's not a, a requirement in any way okay. and yeah you're absolutely right uh, most of our, a lot of our customers choose to refill the vehicle because of the expense that we charge to refill it yep. um, that that's probably not going to be the case with an EV um, and you know for our introductory um, of these vehicles we're going to provide three months with a free charging out, out in the charging network oh, okay. so we're, we're partnering with EV and, and ChargeFox so we'll, we'll allow those um, we'll meet those charges just as a way of encouraging our customers to to try them. Does it require any sort of more intervention from your staff because people might never have driven an EV before, they might not even know how to switch the damn things on um, or what else to do and sort of, you know, things like regenerative braking and things like that, do you have to take time to explain um, how to work it? Yeah, spot on. Um, we'll, we'll do some pre-educational um, videos, etc. when we, uh, when people make a reservation. Uh, obviously there'll be information on our website but we also will have QCAR QR codes in the car so that uh, people can get access to, to URLs to find out how to use the vehicle. But we do think we'll have to handhold exactly what you were saying is that, you know, when you get into the pollster, there isn't a start button. So, um, and, you know, how, how to actually manage it, how to charge it, and then obviously things like regenerative braking, how to turn that on or off depending on your, your uh, desire. Um, the other good thing I think about the pollster is that it comes with, it, with Google as its main platform and in the infotainment. And you know, we're quite excited about the fact that you'll be able to use your, your own Google account and the native familiarity that will provide. Uh, we think it's gonna be pretty cool for our customers. 
Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. What about the rates of um, e um, charging EVs? Can you tell us anything about um, what you've done so far or what you will be doing with the Polestar? In terms of the recharging costs or the rental costs? Well, no, just the rental cost. <laughs> the rental cost is going to sit in between our standard vehicle and, and our prestige range. Um, and, it, and if you think about the, the Polestar, it is a prestige EV, it, so we think that's a, a commensurate price. We haven't actually finalised pricing just yet, um, and it will remain pretty dynamic as, as all of our rental pricing does um, for leisure customers. So we're working through that at the moment, and uh, you know we'll have that ready, obviously, for release, but there's still a few more um, days to go before we're ready to, to publish those rates, and they'll come live on our websites, etc. where the availability yeah, yeah. Well, what sort of what sort of prices are we talking about? Are we talking about hundred dollars a day, roughly? We're we talking about one hundred and fifty. I'm just trying to sort of. I mean, I know you haven't sort of finalised them, but sort of what's the sort of ballpark thing? Or you know, can you somehow get a cheap EV for you know fifty dollars a day like you can? <laughs> no, I think it's going to be over hundred dollars. I, I don't want to um, you know get quoted in terms of what the actual price is because yeah. it will be it will be fluid, um, and you know we we don't know what the demand is going to be like from our customer base yet. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the pricing is dynamic, like, like hotels and airlines, if there's high demand, then, then there'll be a higher price. But we're, we're conscious of not putting this into a, a marketplace where it would be restricted to a customer because of the, the economics of it. Um, and we think that free, free um, charging will actually be a good encouragement to use the vehicle, especially when you compare it to a, a petrol vehicle and what, what the actual cost of fuel is at the moment. <coughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that would be quite a big driver. Yeah, absolutely. So exactly how many Polestars will you be bringing into um, Australia then? Um, we're still working through that with Polestar and obviously, as you can imagine, supply chain um, of new vehicles into Australia is still fairly fluid and, and dynamic. Indeed. Um, so I don't have a finite figure, but it, you know, it will be in the hundreds this year and, and hopefully uh, thousands next year between Tesla and Polestar. That's, um, that's, um, that's interesting. And so looking to the future, 2025, 2030, 2035, I mean, what sort of share of electric vehicles would you imagine having in, in your fleet? Uh, it's a great question. And, you know, I don't have a crystal ball that, that will, uh, I can comment on that. But I, what I will tell you is that it will be a demand-driven um, saturation of fleet. So you know, just as we've done with, for example, SUVs or, or um, um, utility vehicles, um, as the customer starts to buy those vehicles, then they will demand to rent them and we'll meet that demand. Um, how many, you know, if, if the EU goes through with its 2035 EV only policy um, and all countries stick to that, then th that'll answer your question. The, the, that'll mean every European vehicle landed here will be an EV. So we'll, we'll basically meet that demand as it, as it goes through. And, um, you know, in our view, that is, is probably going to be a high saturation. I mean, the length of keep of our vehicles, uh, a petrol vehicle, is about 12 to 18 months. So we cycle through new cars pretty quickly. Um, EVs, we think, we think will be a bit longer. Um, but that does mean that there will be, you know, used EV vehicles into the marketplace. And, uh, and obviously, we'll replace them with new EV vehicles as they come along. So it's pretty dumb. Well, that's really interesting, yeah, because that was going to be my next question. I mean, how long do you look, how long do you hold on to these cars? Um, it's interesting that you're going to hold on to EVs for slightly longer. Is that because they're more durable or you need to hold on to them longer to get the payback from what is a slightly more expensive car? Yeah, that, that's our forecast is two to three years. Um, and, and really, it is a forecast because, A, uh, we're, we're not 
we haven't sold any yet, um, so we don't know what the residual value will be in the marketplace and the demand, but um, we think that without the actual maintenance that's required on an EV, that the longevity of it in terms of a resale product will be higher than a, than a petrol vehicle. Obviously, mileage on a petrol vehicle is a big determination on its sale price, mm. and we think EVs uh, will not have the same issue. Uh, obviously, more of an age uh, in terms of battery life, but you know that's one of the things that's been solved. Uh, it looks like it's going to 18, eight to nine years in terms of at least uh, bat good battery condition. So um, yeah, we we think we'll uh, we'll stretch them a bit longer. Um, and you know, for us, maintenance really comes down to you know, tyres and brakes um, compared to a, a petrol vehicle. So again, that's another advantage for running them in our fleet. Yeah, absolutely. What can possibly go wrong? Have you had any horror stories for people taking out electric vehicles? I mean, look, actually, I mean, when you think about it, there's no reason anyone should have a horror story with an electric vehicle anymore than with a petrol or a diesel car. But um, I, because it is new, sometimes people lose patience with something they don't quite understand. Have, uh, have, you, have you heard anything? Got any feedback on that sort of stuff? No, look, it's a great question. But, you know, for us, it's, it's a, basically a fuel change. Um, so it's a fuel type. So you're, you're absolutely right. It's not, there's not a huge difference between renting. I think... What we're, you know, really happy about with the Polster is the range, so, that, you know, sort of 400 kilometres plus. Um, we think that will, will lead to, you know, customers being very comfortable and being able to drive the distances and, and return and, and not have range anxiety. And, you know, that's, that's something that we want to make sure that our customers are enjoying the experience and, and not worrying about where they, where they have to go and how far they go and how much charge they have. So I think initially, um, and, and people who own EVs will... will will tell you this, that you, you spend a lot of time charging the thing when you initially get it, but then after a while you work out that you don't have to charge your car every day, you can charge it as to your need. Um, and, you know, people when they use petrol vehicles don't run around and top them up every time they do 100 k's. So we think there'll be a little bit of that, you know, relaxation once people get used to, to how far they go and, and, you know, when the charging network gets a bit more pervasive than it is at the moment. Yeah. And is, is there a formula for where you might put most of your cars? I mean, you're talking about airports and you've got cities, but you've also got tourist destinations. Um, is there an idea that you need more in cities simply because of the number of people coming through or maybe tourist destinations because people might take them for longer trips and, and, and may want electric more in those circumstances? Yeah. And, and again, because we're learning uh, as much as our customers will be about how to use these vehicles, uh, we're not sure. I, I mean, one thing I can tell you is that, you know, our corporate customers that we're talking to, are very focused on, on their emissions. And we see us playing a key part in that in the rental journey, both for business and leisure. And, you know, people, allowing people to reduce their footprint. So, you know, obviously, initially, it's, uh, we're concentrating on our major airports because that's the majority of where our demand comes from. But there's no reason in the future why the 300 locations we run across Australia and New Zealand won't have an EV in, in all of them. So. You know, that, that, that's the future. And, you know, things like being able to drive an EV one way and leave it there will be a key attribute for, for Hertz. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 does an EV lend itself more to doing stuff like that than, than a petrol car? Or I wouldn't imagine there's much difference. <clears throat> I don't think there's much difference at all. And, you know, we're, we're a fly-drive nation. So, um, yeah. you know, the, the anxiety about trying to drive an EV long distances is, is probably a little bit... More experimental at the moment than than customary, so mm -hmm. um, you know we, we think that the, there's adequate range. Um, I think the charging infrastructure for holiday destinations is, is a challenge. 
Um, and you know, we're hoping that the governments, state and federal, will lean in on this area and, and help enterprise develop the charging networks. And uh, you know, if you think about places like Tasmania, um, that will be a wonderful experience to be able to, to drive an EV vehicle from Hobart and charge it at Freycinet and then leave it in Launceston and fly out. So, um, but we've got to make sure there's enough charging for, for the amount of vehicles uh, that are out yeah. there. And yeah, that's right, yeah. That's currently I not the case. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Tasmania because we actually went down um, early this year to to Tasmania and um, hired a um, an EV for um, for a week or two, and it was um, it was just fantastic, just um, really very comfortable, relaxing, and um, and um, yeah, no, it was um, it was great. But um, helped by having an extension cord so you could plug it into the bathroom in some hotels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. One thing I do recommend, maybe you can put it in an extension cord and yeah. have it tied to the car and stuff like that. There's probably some occupational health and safety issues we'll have to cover off. Yeah. Well, probably, or maybe just sort of put it somewhere. Um, are you driving an EV yet? Are you, uh, have you been yeah, switch? I haven't switched my, my drive car yet because it's, it's a bit too young, but um, certainly have enjoyed driving both Tesla and, and, and the Polsters. And uh, I have to say that uh, I find the Polster um, really easy to adapt from a, from a petrol vehicle to an EV. And uh, you know the fit, finish, and the fit out, and, and the familiarity is uh, exceptional. So, and I think our customers are going to come back with that feedback that they'll they'll drive them, and then I think we'll get we'll get a bit of a new R. Um, these things are amazing. So um, we hope that that will help Polster build its brand in Australia and it'll help EV adoption. So it's a it's a bit of a win win for for you know Polster Hertz and and the customer. We believe. And not just the customer, also as you mentioned, the uh, the quick turnover and the sort of pushing these cars into the second-hand market will also help the overall adoption. So that's pretty good. Well, look, um, Owen, um, thank you very much for um, joining us um, in, in the Driven Podcast, and um, good luck. And um, I hope you manage to get hold of all those vehicles. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. And that was um, Ian McNeil from Hertz Rental Cars after their deals with Polestar 2. So, Bridie, um, that's pretty exciting. Um, both you and I have had the um, the pleasure of renting um, electric cars when we've sort of gone on holidays. Well, probably the only place we had, we were able to do it at the time was in Tasmania. Um, you took yours for about a week or so, and I took mine for another week, and um, it was... Um, it was fun, even owning an electric car. It's it's nice to not have to sort of hire a petrol car when you go when you go away. Oh, for sure, for sure. And look, you know, I think it's uh, you, you and I have both driven the Polestar, and so that that's the model, the Polestar Two, that Hertz are putting on their fleet. And uh, I think that's going to be a really great introduction for people who just want to try an electric car. Um, and you know that might suit some people when they're on their holiday to do something a bit different. And the good news is you don't have to bring it back to the Bowser to um, to fill it up before you sort of take it back to the thing. You can just sort of leave it. <laughs> you can leave it half empty. Um, um, when you take it back, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of arrangement evolves. Look, the other big piece of news, and it sort of hit the front pages this week, Bridie, was the sort of a study from the Australia Institute talking about the lost opportunity from fuel emission standards. It's been going on for about 15 years. We've talked quite a lot about it in the Energy Insiders podcast, where we've done an interview with Richie Merzian from the Australia Institute. Um, you know, just 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 the just the insanity of not having fuel emission standards. Six billion dollars in extra petrol costs. Two billion dollars in the last year. You know, higher emissions, obviously higher impact on health. There's things like that. I mean, it is just nuts. Um, I, I don't know whether you get any sense 
that there is a um, a push by ministers to sort of try to move towards that now. We also saw the Sydney Morning Herald report, which sort of identified, you know, the efforts by the FCAI to try and sort of, you know, downplay the need and, and, and protect the hybrid models, which are um, really popular for manufacturers like Toyota. What's your sort of assessment of it all? Yeah, look, I think um, there's certainly a lot of uh, conversation going on in the public arena about this. And it's clearly, you know, been a long, long time coming. And, you know, I think that the, the one of the really interesting things that came out today, uh, this week was uh, in that Australia Institute report and the report in the Sydney Morning Herald um, about the FCAI campaign, so the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, which it turns out is sort of makes its decisions led by, as I understand it, the car makers according to market share. So the cars, car makers that sell the most cars kind of get the most say is the way I took it. And um, that that's Toyota. Now, you know, Toyota has been really successful with uh, creating a strong hybrid market. It's definitely doing a lot in helping Australian drivers reduce their fuel usage, but it's just not showing the same interest in actually full electrification that a lot of other car makers are. And, you know, obviously the the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries has sort of introduced its own voluntary fuel emissions limits in, in lieu of um, actually having proper legislation. And that seems to be what they want government to take on now. And there's huge problems with that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, look, and it's really interesting because now that Tesla's joined the FCIA and you've got Polestar there, you've got two dedicated electric brands sort of sitting there in the room. So it must make for some interesting conversations now, I would have thought. Yeah, I think it probably does. <laughs> and particularly with Tesla. I mean, if Tesla starts delivering it, this, this little bulk of vehicles, I mean, that's going to sort of push them right up the list in terms of sort of deliveries. Um, it's going to make them, um, they, might, they might actually start throwing their weight around a bit. It's going to be going to be fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I mean, last year we were sort of closely watching the sales numbers of the Model 3 against uh, models like the, you know, popular Toyota Camry and Corolla and um, there's every chance that, that, you know, they didn't quite beat Toyota the punch with those models last year. But um, and, and this year is going to be a little bit behind probably because of the Shanghai shutdowns, which meant that uh, uh, Tesla was unable to uh, make about forty to 50,000 vehicles for a couple of months and that kind of shut off all deliveries to Australia. But um, that's going to change, you know, so... It'll be really interesting to keep an eye on, you know, the volume and, and how many Tesla cars are able to be delivered to customers compared to Toyota in the next, you know, six to 12 months. Absolutely, yes. And then over the future too, because um, having a fuel emission standard is really just sort of, you know, is cited as one of the biggest impediments to getting sort of deliveries and, and volume here because the major car makers are then obliged to sort of send their electric cars to markets like Europe where they can, that helps them meet those sort of fuel emission standards there. And they go, well, why bother sending to Australia? Because we have an obligation to do so. So that's a really Absolutely. important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, Brian, I think we'll just wrap it up there. Thank you very much for joining the Driven Podcast. And thanks for everyone out there for listening. Um, Thanks to our sponsor, Iron Blue. Um, thanks also to Ian McNeil from Hertz for joining us in the interview. And we'll be back again very soon with another episode of The Driven Podcast. Bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Iron Blue. Iron 
Blue provides 100% renewable, carbon neutral energy for your electric vehicle. Many EVs are responsible for significant carbon emissions because Australia's grid is predominantly fossil fuel powered. But for as little as $6 a month, you can clean up your EV. Find out how. Go to ironblue.com.au.